Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources, and we're going to be talking elk today. We've got a bunch of questions that have come in from listeners from the prior podcast where I announced that we're actually going to be taking some listeners' questions um, kind of live um, or in person, if you will, and uh, we definitely have some of those lined up, but we got some questions that came in where guys just were asking questions, um, didn't necessarily want to uh, have the bounce back, uh, but I figured Chris and I could take these questions and uh, go through them, and I want to encourage you guys uh, out there that are listening with elk season a couple months away, uh, you guys, a bunch of you already have tags in your pocket, you know where you're going, um, you know, we're most of the Southwest, we're facing a drought, I know Montana and Wyoming and some of those states um, you know, have, have tons of moisture. So every place is a little bit different, but I encourage you guys, uh, send us the questions. You can send them to my email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can direct message me on Instagram as well. And um, just uh, love getting uh, the questions from you. And, and Chris is um, obviously very well qualified to uh, help me in, in answering your questions. And uh, Chris, before we get into it, um, I, I just want to thank you for all of what you've been doing on your social media with your Instagram and your Facebook pages, um, and, and I'll let you go into it a little bit before we answer questions, but um, you are a property manager, a land manager, a, you know, a wildlife biologist by trade. Um, you manage land. You help people manage land. Uh, you work for people for hire to manage land, uh, different properties, whether it be you know turkey, white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk. Um, that's what you do. But I noticed that you've been doing um, quite a bit of interactive stuff, uh, you know, video, kind of showing exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, you know, the troubles that you're facing, the hardships, and and all of that, and. Um, I know that people are, are digging that, so I want to encourage people to check you out, Row Hunting, that's R-O-E, Row Hunting Resources, on Instagram and Facebook. And being an RHR, Row Hunting Resources um, member and you know, having subscribed uh, to your elk module and, and turkey module and some of the stuff that you've got going on RHR, uh, website. I've seen it for a long time, but it's nice to see some more of the social media stuff um, from you. And knowing you personally, it's, it's kind of fun to take an in-depth look at, at what you're doing. So I just want to say hats off to you for, for that. No, thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, um, <laughs> websites are always and I still I, I put a lot of work into the elk module on the website and, and just make sure the website has got relevant good solid content because I, I think that's the meat and potatoes of what we've got as far as an online stuff you're absolutely right as far as the consulting stuff it, being a habitat manager wildlife biologist yeah I, um, whether it's deer elk turkeys I mean that's that's what I love and and it, you know, being out here in Kansas now, I get a little uh, a chance to do a little bit more of that in the whitetail world, and I'm just having a blast doing it. But um, from the two parts of that, the, from the website standpoint, the 
the elk module, turkey module, and that type of stuff. You know, the computer stuff is always going to be the meat and potatoes where people can go and access the real, I think, you know, kind of, well, the meat and potatoes, the deep information to where they just want to sit and study and watch and learn and be able to reference and go back through it. But, you know, now with social media being the way it is, you know, with, with the little stories and with the little videos and, and sharing stuff a lot easier and quicker, there's a lot of tiny little tidbits here or there and that I can share now with folks in a, in a way that, I don't know, it, it makes it a little bit more enjoyable from an interaction standpoint. You, you know, you don't have to sit there and, and watch a long video, if, especially if you don't even know if you want to watch the particular video. You just sit there and watch a 15-second or you know, couple-minute video that I do and say, okay, you know, here we talk about this or we talk about that because um, for a lot of the stuff that I do, uh, let's just t let's just look for whitetails for instance. You know, if you watch the Sportsman Channel or Outdoor Channel and stuff, there's a lot of companies out there that are, and, and I, th this is not a critique. I just want to qualify that. It's not a critique. There's a lot of companies out there selling uh, seed blends and food plot materials or uh, you name it. There's all sorts of products out there. And as a business, it is in their best interest to try to market that product to the widest array of clients and, and potential buyers as possible. I mean, that's just, that's just what you do from a marketing standpoint. So the, the reality, however, is there are places and there's conditions and there are things to consider that sometimes uh, just a standard product that works well in one part of the country is not going to work well in another part of the country and sure is not going to work as well as it could, even if, it's, if it could do well in your area, depending on what the conditions are and, and how you set things up and, you know, just a variety of other factors go into whether or not there's going to, you're going to see success. And, you know, one of the latest projects that you've been watching, I'm going to actually go back down here in about a week uh, to, to start planting a few, uh, well, corn and some uh, screening cover and stuff. We're going to make some modifications to what we want to do. But uh, another group had gone in there last year to uh, basically promote a seed blend company and do a food plot. And they didn't do anything wrong, per se, given, you know, based on what the manufacturer or the, or the, the company had, had said. But the site prep was not quite as, as good as it needed to be. They had some drought issues. They had some weed issues. They had, there's all sorts of these secondary factors that, basically all conspired and and the plot just it was horrible i mean it just and that's one the the one five acre show it's probably at three and a half acres right now but the one plot that people will see me working on the one that looks like a big square that's it i mean it, it ended up being it was a good effort with a quality seed blend from a quality company but the the, the small things that make big differences just didn't, you know, all the I's weren't dotted and T's weren't necessarily crossed, and so it, it ended up kind of failing. And so being able to show people a little bit of a difference, especially in the world that I live in out here where we have dry land farming and a, a very, uh, you, you have to have a very careful crop rotation, it's stuff that other people are going to encounter, and but you just don't necessarily see that uh, in 
the mainstream commercial TV shows or whatever. So if I can share that type of stuff, the same thing with the elk stuff, you know, if, if I'm out and, you know, people are asking me all the time about foragers and stuff, so that's going to be a big one this summer is just going through and just sharing. All right, here's, here's what Idaho fescue looks like or Arizona fescue. Here's, here's what the forage looks like. And, and this is what you're looking for. Those type of little tidbits, I think, it, it doesn't take a lot of time to share quality information, but if you share it well, I think it, it sticks, and it's something that it just your brain processes. It, it stores that information, and then you can use it anytime you want. So the more I can do that, uh, I'm enjoying doing it, but I think it, it's providing a I'm getting some good feedback from folks, so we're going to try to keep, just try to, you know, keep sharing more of those intimate details of, of what I do on a kind of daily basis. Good stuff. Good stuff. Let's dive right into these elk questions. Um, first question is from Justin McNew. He says, "Hi Jay, thanks for the uh, thanks for the podcast. As I've mentioned before, I can't thank you enough for that podcast. With all of the advice from professionals and hours of amazing content, I've become a much better elk hunter and learned more than I ever have on my own in such a short period of time. I guess that's what's so exciting about the age we live in. Uh, we have." Uh, access to so many thoughts, experiences because of the way we communicate. Uh, as for Chris Rowe, I'm so impressed with his passion and scientific and methodical approach he takes to elk calling. I purchased a membership to his site last year, as always looking uh, for ways to become a more successful elk caller. I grew up hunting Roosevelt elk on the Oregon coast, and most of the professionals in my area seem to believe that a person has to find that one bull who wants to fight. That strategy has never really worked for me. Chris's elk module has helped me develop more tools than, than I can use. If I locate a bull and he's not a herd bull or acting aggressive, I have many more options. That being said, this year I got lucky and on my first attempt got drawn for a New Mexico 16B late archery tag and what i mean i think what he means chris is the late rut you know not late like november but you know a late season meaning the third season new mexico yeah. rut tag i guess my worst fear besides the forest being closed or burnt to the ground is that this hunt is during a full moon sequence and it looks like we are headed into a very dry year I want to harvest my first really older age class bull, and I know it's going to be difficult. I'm anticipating low calling activity and very dry conditions. First, I would like to ask, how would you and Chris go about identifying and locating the upper age class bull in those conditions? I have heard that the terrain does not lend itself to glassing, and I've heard that my patients Oh, I've learned that my patience for glassing is minimal. Second, I would like <laughs> to ask Chris if I find myself in a scenario similar to his video, Arizona Bugling Chaos, what is my best chance for weeding through the younger bulls and getting that older age class bull interested and into the doorway, in parentheses. Lastly, in general, what strategies has Chris found to be useful for calling elk in a full moon phase mid to late September? Thanks for the opportunity, Jay. I truly enjoy your work. So, Chris, probably let's just go back to the first uh, question. 
I'd like to ask Chris how how he'd like to go about identifying and locating that upper age class bull in those conditions. All right, let me. I'm, I I wrote down a I wrote down a, a bunch of notes. I guess yeah. Pull up a chair on that one. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna spend some time on that one. Uh, yeah, don't be standing on one foot waiting for the you know. Um, all right, so let me let me go through what I've got written down is just make sure I've got the, the, the elements of the question. So he's one that deals with a bright moon. You know, he's, he's got a full moon condition because you're talking mid to late September, right? Number one, he wants to know how he'd go about identifying, locating that upper age class bull in dry conditions yeah. and with yeah. the moon conditions. Second, he wants to uh, ask about the, uh, bugle, Arizona bugling chaos, what's my best chance for weeding through younger bulls and getting to that older age class bull and get him into the doorway? And then lastly, what strategies you have found, Chris, to be useful yeah. for calling elk in a full moon phase mid to late September? All right. And, and, the re- and, and I've, I've got these things written down because I think – Let's. I tell you what. Let's. Uh, let's. Let's reorder those, if you don't mind. However uh, you want. Well, the re- and the reason why I say let's reorder them is because I think some are easier to answer than others. Uh, and and there's some that. Um, hey, first of all, thanks for it. Right on, man. I I appreciate you being a member, and and I yeah. So I'm going to reference a couple other videos that you know for him to to jump in and and take a look at because I think it'll help him on. Um, some of these explanations as well. So let let me just tackle the, the full moon uh, because I, I think that one is a question that is is absolutely good. It always, it, every year it comes up. Now, I've got a good discussion on that on the elk module. I mean, a full-on video webinar. I mean, it, it's a full-on instructional piece on, on hunting, what I call a bright moon phase because it doesn't necessarily have to be a, full moon you you and and most everybody else if you think about it you guys know that you really you start getting close to a full moon and it's still bright out and then as soon as it goes several days past the full moon it's still stinking bright out you know at night um so i just always call it a bright moon phase when when the bulk of the moon is up in the sky at night and the elk are utilizing that additional light um like i said there's a there's a full-on discussion in the elk module on this but in short i don't think it really matters where you go one of the things that i see or what you know whether you're talking montana or new mexico what type you know public or private um one thing that always seems to be consistent for me is you probably have a lot more activity going on at night therefore as far as elk activity Especially when you're talking late, mid to late September, you can oftentimes get a really good amount of bugling activity at night. And so, if I'm trying to find elk, if I'm trying to find bulls and locate them, uh, and and more importantly, get a pattern on what's going on, where did they come from, and where are they going? I, there's there's times that I will literally stay out all night. I'll I'll sleep during the day if, if I, you know if I sacrifice a day or two of my hunt just because it's tough conditions and I just need to figure out what the heck is going on, where these elk are and where they're going, 
I'll I'll stay out all night and just listen. And I might even throw out a bugle or two out here, you know, just uh, just a contact bugle or two, you know, from time to time, just to try to get somebody talking. But a lot of times, I will spend the nighttime hours out there in places where I can a hear what's going on, and b if I can get myself, even if it's just a minor uh, bit of elevation get myself in a position where if I do hear something, I have a better chance of being able to pinpoint where it is. Not just direction, but, you know, direction and distance. You know, okay, he's in this direction, but more importantly, he's on that little knob or he's in that particular saddle or he's in that little drainage or he's over by that particular water source or whatever. If I can if I can get to a position on the map, a geographical you know, feature or just a geographical location on the map where just I can listen and I can pinpoint direction and distance better, then that's where I'm going to go and I'm going to spend some time. Um, once I know, where once I'm out there and I can hear stuff talking, a couple things. One, if you're out there in the afternoon, say you're out there in the afternoon and evening and, and the sun is going down, and you're staging, you're just trying to figure, you know, trying to listen, you're, you're, nothing's talking, nothing's talking, nothing's talking. I'll sit there and wait until it starts getting dark, and I'll stay several hours after dark, and I will just continue to listen. And I will take note of where I hear animals first sound off. Where they first sound off oftentimes doesn't mean that that's... That it, Sometimes they'll sound off in their bedding area, which absolutely. But regardless, if they sound off and, and they are over by a water source or it sounds like they're heading to a water source, where are they coming from? Sometimes you can help identify just by taking note of where you first heard them. You can get a better idea of where they're coming from. And especially if you keep monitoring and listening and you can you know, hear a direction of travel, and how far they're traveling, a lot of times you can get a, a really good indication of where they're coming from. Um, so that would oftentimes give you an idea, okay, they, they, they were probably bedded, you know, over here. They were probably on that slope or on that ridge or on that little pocket or whatever. Keep that in mind because the next morning, if you're back out there or if you follow them back to their bed, you know, just, again, follow them in the dark, listen to them, where are they going? Are they going back to the same spot? If so, then try to figure out where that spot is, and now you've got a better idea of, okay, this is where they're spending their day. They may not be staying up heap during, you know, what we call it, you know, traditional morning and, and evening hunting hours, but doesn't mean that they're not there. Um, so use the, use the cover of darkness. Use their ability, you know, their their tendency to, to talk a little bit more and be a little bit more free about vocalizing to your advantage. Yeah, they might be headed into the bedding area, you know, before legal shooting light. Uh, I, again, he, and anybody that's an elk module subscriber has got to know by now, I've got piles of videos on it where I'm literally out there two to three, four hours before legal shooting light. Heck, the, the, the latest video I put on YouTube about my hunt last year, the, for the first half of that hunt is just me telling you what I'm doing, and that was part of the key strategy 
for me figuring out where these elk were was getting out there hours before even the hint of light just so I could figure out what the heck was going on and where these bulls were. So using the cover of darkness or the bright moon phase can, can be um, critical. So that's the first layer. And then, seriously, if the wind is conducive for it, man, sometimes those mid, you know, mid-morning to mid-afternoon, especially, you know, middle of the day type hunts, I, in my opinion, I found to be extremely productive. Because if you think about it, you know, elk are out all night, they feed, they get ready, you know, they head into their bedding area before illegal shooting light. You know, they, I talk about this in the module, too, about how long it takes for an elk to go through their room and, and how long they're going to sit in bed, and then they get up and they stretch. Well, goodness gracious, if they've been in their bed for that long, you know, those midday hours, they're going to get up, they're going to stretch, they're, they're going to get a little bite to eat, they're going to get some, you know, probably get some water if it's if it's handy and, and close by. It, they may not be making large moves, but they might get up, they're absolutely going to get up and stretch their legs a little bit. If you know where they went to bed and the wind allows you to get in tight to those bedding areas, oh my gosh, the midday, midday hunts can be awesome. So, those two things right there, I, you know, I talk about all the time, and, and, and I utilize that all the time. And then I guess the only thing else thing I, I would add about those bright moon phases, just make sure you're, it, it, especially in the afternoon, sometimes, the, you know, morning hunts can sometimes be very, really, really difficult because they don't start talking. Well, let me just take a, sorry, let me just take a little side note because I just, this popped in my head too. You might hear those bulls talking uh, in the morning, say an hour or two before there's even a little bit of a sliver of, of daylight. And then all of a sudden they go quiet. And people will start, I've seen it happen repeatedly. People will start, and I've done it, people will start to pant. And then they, all of a sudden everything just went quiet. And so now people start running the landscape bugling, cow calling, bugling, cow call, almost, and I won't say in a desperate manner, but subconsciously I think they start getting a little panicked to where, uh, you know, where, where, where do you go, where do you go, I can't, I can't keep up with him, I, I, don't, I, I need to find him, I need to find him, I need to find him. If, especially early on in your hunt, if you've got a week to ten days to hunt, or two weeks, or whatever, however long you're going to take, if it's the first part of your hunt, I again, anybody that knows the elk module knows that I, I always start low-key and build up from there. Don't, don't panic in the mornings if they go silent. Um, it is not uncommon for them to bugle. You know, they're out there in the cover of darkness or they're out there in, in, under that bright moon, Okay. And they're feeding, they're interacting, they're feeding. And at some point, those you know, those bulls are going to be bugling. Especially we're talking about here mid to late September, as long as the weather systems are not coming through to you know shut them down or whatever. But mid to late September, typically the bulls are going to be talking. It's not uncommon for right before they get ready to head to bed, the bulls start feeding. They get they get a, a belly full of grass, and then as the group starts to move. All of it, now there's a change that we, I talk about this in there. People want to understand why elk communicate, why they start talking, why they actually start vocalizing. There's reasons for it. Well, 
as that group starts moving, that's when that bull starts to, to sound off. And he's basically broadcasting that, hey, we're, we're getting ready to go. This is, you know, here we are. So you're going to get, you're oftentimes going to get that flurry of vocalizations. But don't be surprised if all of a sudden they just go quiet, especially if we're talking those mature bulls that have that established harem. All of a sudden they go quiet. Well, that just means they're moving towards their bedding area. Now, that may be quickly. It might be slowly. And, you know, Jay, I, I think you can confirm this too, you know, down in Arizona especially. Man, it, it always amazes me just how far some of these groups are going between where they were out feeding all night and getting water to where they ultimately bed. There's numerous times, and I show this on the elk module, I, there's numerous times where it's mile and a half, two miles between where they bedded and where, uh, or excuse me, where they were feeding and where they go to bed. But that's not always the case. But, I mean, as they're moving, sometimes they'll go quiet. Well, if you'll just have some patience, let it get daylight. Just let things get bright enough to where you can move and see clearly, oftentimes they will bugle as they start to get close to that bedding. Or when the, when the cows start to settle down and slow down and start looking for a place to bed down, oftentimes the bulls will start to bugle again. And if, if say, for instance, this in this case it's only a half a mile away, well, we might be talking about a, a two- or three-hour um, hiatus on, on any talking. It, they, they may have been quiet for a while. If for those two or three hours we've been in their panic and, and we've been on there calling and running around, I can tell you you're probably bumping more elk. You're probably pushing them farther. They're going deeper and they're not relaxing. I, I, and I'm not being critical of other people. I did this myself just last year. I, I was trying to follow a herd. I figured I was staying up well enough off the side and nope bumped into a couple spikes that go tearing into the main group, and then there goes the main group, and they just, you know, for the next mile, now I'm even further behind. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it happens, but if people would just slow down, listen, and assess, and don't start running the landscape, unless you know where they are, unless you know the landscape you're in, and you know how to travel without being seen or, or bumping into help, just let it get light. Because sometimes those those animals will relax quicker. They will start to talk sooner than you think if they're not bumped. And a lot of times I think people end up bumping them um, in that little quiet period. So those are from a bright move. And I don't from that's why I said I, let's tackle that one first because I think that's that's universal across the board. I, I think that's kind of low hanging fruit when we're talking about that. So that, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean. Really what I would add to that is, you know, New Mexico 16B is talking about, you know, bright moon phase. Um, 16B, if, if I remember right, is, is a wilderness uh, hunt. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely probably a pack-in and, you know, whether with backpack or with horses. 
Um, so he's going to be have the ability to be out at night and be out listening and observing those elk. I would even say if the moon is full enough, you know, take your lower power binoculars, your eight or your ten power binoculars, and I mean, you can actually see if the moon is bright enough, you can see a couple hundred yards and tell what bulls are. Um, and it sounds like Justin's trying to harvest his first mature bull. A couple things that I would be doing during that full moon is definitely um, arranging my schedule so that I can run and gun at night and find some of those older age class bulls, listen to their voice, and try and establish, okay, that's the one that glunks all the time. Okay, that's the one that always chuckles at the beginning of his bugle. You know, in other words, spend time with them out there in the dark so that the next morning or the next handful of, of days when you're in that same area where those bulls are, you have established what the different bulls sound like, and you're like, that one always sounds real guttural and big, but he's actually a dink because I saw him in the, you know, in the moonlight, and he's really only a five-point. And so identify by listening to their voice and... I agree with you on midday. A lot of times, uh, and even with deer, like, you know, they're, they're up all night and then they're quick to bed, fairly quiet. You know, obviously deer don't make any noise, but then all of a sudden they take, you know, they bed down real close to, you know, daylight and then they take a couple hour nap and then midday they're ready to roll again. You know, obviously there's cows in estrus and they're, you know, checking cows and so don't be afraid to, you know, hunt during the middle of the day um, and, you know, try and slip in there on those herd bulls. And if you've spent enough time with them listening to them bugle, you probably have a chance to know, hey, that's my bull. And don't be afraid to kind of isolate and focus on one bull and attempt to try and get close either by calling or by sneaking into that particular bull and, and kind of isolate and pinpoint one bull to go after. So that would be my um, take on the full moon. Don't be surprised at daylight if all of a sudden they shut up, exactly like what Chris is saying. Yeah, and one thing, and I'm glad you touched on it because I wrote a, a note here on my paper about, you know, if we're talking about trying to locate a mature bull, if you cannot just physically lay eyes on it and confirm it, you know, everybody says, well, you can't judge a bull by his bugle. I agree with that. I've seen, I've seen some giant bulls that have the most high-pitched voice, and I've seen some 5 by 5s that have the biggest, nasty, raspiest voice. Um, from, so you, you, you've got to take it, you, you've got to kind of avail, or, uh, evaluate each one, but there's a couple things. One, oftentimes, not always, oftentimes, if you're just going off of voice, oftentimes if it's a deeper voice, it's usually an older age class bull. And older age class hopefully translates into a, a, a more, you know, a better set of headgear. But like you said, the one thing that I've, I mean, I will, I will, I will, okay, a chuckler. Those bulls that all they, you know, like you said, it either chuckles before he bugles or, more even even more if that's all he does you know you got all these other bulls out there screaming and, and carrying on and all, if you hear off in the distance just this one bull that just if that's all he does i don't care you can have the biggest nastiest 
dinosaur-sounding bugle and on one side of the mountain, and then on the other side, all the, the only thing that bull does is chuckle, I will go after that chuckler every single time. If I can't see him, I will go after that chuckler every single time. Because a lot of times... Yeah, I agree with that, too. Those older, older age class bulls... Oh, golly, this, is a, this, can be a, this could be a really big discussion. <laughs> just from a behavior standpoint. You know, from a, from a cow selection, you know, what the cows are looking for, body temp, you know, all the... Oh, man, this, again, I geek out on this stuff. Um, but... <laughs> A lot of times, those bulls that just chuckle are the larger age class or the older age class larger bulls. The reason why is because they've already attracted their cows. They don't have to go out and vocalize and broadcast. Their body suggest, you know, just screams that they're the man to be with, and a lot of times those cows will choose that bull, and oftentimes they're going to have a harem that they're happy with. And so all they need, they don't have to be the ones out there screaming. The ones out there screaming are often either the ones that are trying to defend a harem because they're being pestered by satellite bulls, or they're bulls that don't have a harem, and they're trying to find one. But an older age class bull, all he does is just chuckle, oh, baby, yeah, that's the one I want to go lay. I want to find that bull and lay eyes on it. And you're right. So if you hear it, if you, if you're out there at night, and you hear one like that, dude, I'm with you, brother. If it's that bright, and I, I am going to find a spot where I can at least get some, at least in a couple hundred yards, and try to put a set of binoculars on it just to confirm, and I'm going to camp on that thing and try to just really pattern, just really commit to memory what his voice sounds like. Because he might bugle every now and then. Um, what does his voice sound like? Because come daybreak, when everything starts going quiet, I wait, and then as they get close to their bedding area, that is what I want to identify. And again, anybody that's been on the elk module, you know, there's a couple videos. I'm literally talking in the strategies and actions section. I'm sitting there talking about it. All right, there's a bull there. Okay, there's a bull there. Okay, and then you can hear it. I'm like, bingo, that's the one, let's go. And it's, it's one that I've been listening to for a couple hours in the dark. He's moved off, but now I know the direction. Time to make, I'll, I'll go to him first, and I can go play with the other bulls later, but I am going to go to that one that's just a chuckler. Good stuff. Um, his first question is, how would Chris go oh. about identifying and locating the upper age class bull in those conditions? First, do you have anything to add to our to the moon discussion, and then go go into the next one? No, I, I think, and I think that kind of st what we just talked about is is kind of the segue and, and discussion about that one. If I'm going to try to find an older age class, I'm going to I'm going to try to find those bull bulls that, that, quite honestly, that may not be bugling as much, that have uh, a deeper voice. Now, again, I've chased some five by fives and four by fours. I, I talk about one of the examples I give is I still remember this today. This is in Vail, outside of Vail, Colorado, late 90s. Killed my, I think it was late 90s, early 2000s. I killed my elk early. I had a bear tag, went back up where I was working on the elk study. Uh, met some other elk hunters up there. Decide, I, I ran into a, just a smoker of a bull the night before. I, I'm in there with my bear tag. I see these elk hunters. I'm like, hey. I've got a video camera. Why don't we just go? I'll call, and, and we'll see if we can kill this bull. 
we start working this bull. This bull's got a, just an incredible voice, but, you know, I could tell there, at the time, daybreak, there was a, a mature bull and then two other satellite bulls. Long story short, I spent, oh, we spent several hours that morning, I think finally like 9, 9.30 in the morning, finally get this bull to come out in this little 4x4, four four, runs out, slams into a wallow, stands up and just, I mean, it was the deep, the bull that we thought we were working all morning was this little 4x4. Four four. I have no idea where the stinking big the mature bull went. I, have, I, I still don't know. But we had been working this stupid little 4x4 four four that had this deepest, nastiest voice you could ever imagine. But, I, yeah, again, well, it, I would have I'd been, like to add something to that, Chris. Um, and it's just my observation. When you hear, in my opinion, when you hear a bull that's got real hoarse like that, like you were just describing, more times than not, it is not a mature bull. What I listen for in a mature bull is that a lot of times a, a louder, more predominant sound because they're a big, bigger body, they've got a bigger chest cavity, they've got a bigger diaphragm, like they can blow. So volume is huge for me. And then, front, you know, when they do come off the high pitch and they get into that guttural sound, I like to hear a lot of bass, a lot of, you know, like resonance with it. Whereas I've seen a lot of five-by-fives that all they do is go like that, and they're just nothing more than a horse five-by-five. So either bulls that chuckle a lot, either bulls that just chuckle, bulls that chuckle at the beginning of their bugle or at the end of their bugle, or those bulls that just are louder and not necessarily high pitch, just louder, what I've found is typically those bulls are more mature. I'm curious if you've seen any crossover in that as well with those five-by-fives those younger bulls that are just, you know, horse voice bulls, and then the difference in the volume and the resonance with the mature bulls. No, absolutely. And I think a lot of times those younger, and, and we're not talking it's a year and a half old bull. I'm saying just a younger age class. They might be a three-year-old bull or whatever, but um, I, I agree. Sometimes those younger age class bulls, again, if you go back and you review some of the stuff I talked about, you know, about what bugling actually is doing and what the different vocalizations are actually relaying the information when you talk about those real nasty raspy type bugles that's information sending type communication they're, they're trying to paint a picture and I think a lot of times they just they really develop that rasp or, or try to emphasize that just, just they're they're trying to overcompensate they're, they're trying to sound like somebody that they're not quite frankly. They're trying to sound like a big mature bull. They're trying to sound like a confident bull. They're trying to sound like a potentially dominant bull, especially in those areas where there actually are big, confident, mature, dominant bulls. It, I agree with you, brother. As sometimes it just seems like they're the ones out there screaming their fool heads off trying to make it seem like they, you know, they are what they're not. Um, I have, now, I, I will agree, you know, let me the next thing is you said that I absolutely agree with is I don't really ever pay attention to the when I'm trying to evaluate a bull and whether I decide whether I'm going to go after him or not. I really don't 
pay attention or evaluate the 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 high note or the um, the bulk of the bugle. I really don't. What I listen for is that tail end, that that the ending when that bull just has expired, you know, expired all the air out of his lungs. I want to hear what does it sound like when when he finishes and equalizes all that that pressure. Because, like you said, the bigger the bull, the the bigger the lung, you can hear that. You know, any bull can sound like anything at the high end, and any bull can put in all sorts of different amounts of rasp. But when they come off of it, and you know what I'm talking about, Jay, it, it's the tail end of that last little. Ugh, that last bit that you can really get a feel for the just the deep base that an animal may or may not have, and the deeper, the bigger, the more, and you, it almost you can hear it echo. It just just fills the area. That, I mean, the bigger the bowl, the deeper and the the bigger the sound that is. And, and you can, if you pay attention to it, you can definitely see a difference or hear a difference in. Who's got the bigger chest? And that's the one I'm going to go after. I've, I've, and what you said as far as volume, you're absolutely right. If a big bull wants to rip, he can rip. But I will say that in some cases I have seen some of the bigger bulls, again, kind of like the chuckle scenario, they don't. They, they, they just don't. You know, some of the younger bulls are out there screaming bloody murder trying to stand apart. And meanwhile, he's over there just, oh. You know, he's emphasizing that low end of the bugle, but yeah, that's that's what I'm focusing on, I, and I agree. I mean, that the deep chesty sounds are what I'm going to focus on when I'm choosing choosing which bull to go after. Good stuff. Um, Dry conditions. He'd like to he'd like to ask about uh, your video. Uh, Arizona bugling chaos. What's the best chance for weeding through younger bulls oh, and getting yeah. that older age class bull interested and into the doorway? Uh, that one I've got. Let me um, give me two. I'm gonna. I'm making. I'm just scribbling a couple of notes because I think that the the Arizona Bugle Chaos video, for those who have not seen it yet, is, is one of those situations that everybody just loves. You, you, you love and you hate it. You know, you, you love it because it, it is. It's just chaos. You hate it because there's so many eyes and so many animals running around. It sometimes can be difficult to even make anything happen. So bugling, the Arizona Bugle Chaos, bugling chaos I remember it was like two or three Mature bulls had their harems all kind of in one area, and it was kind of thick cover. And so you had several big bulls, a pile of cows, and just this sea of young satellite bulls. Just any time you, you make a call, a satellite bull is running you over, standing seven feet from you. And as soon as you, you know, he spooks, any you know, younger age class animal does. He goes run, you know, run right straight back to the group with his head out, held high, spooks some of the cows. The cows take off running. Meanwhile, everybody's bugling, screaming, and so it's just this, it's chaos. So I guess really, for me, I, 
and 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 one thing that I'm going back to is is what he said in the beginning about his experience in Oregon and, and some of the other people that he's you know um, followed and, and learned elk stuff from. So first and foremost, I've got to ask, and, and I guess this is where I would clear. I would I'd want to I would want clarification. Um, is this a bull? It is the chaotic activity stemming from the fact that all of a sudden this bull has shown up or another bull showed up. And is this a um, kind of a flash in the pan, so to speak, where this bull is here or, or maybe he stumbled upon this bull and this bull is traveling or this bull is moving to where he's got like one shot at going after this bull or is this bull has this bull been in the same area every day and just this particular day a cow comes into to Asterson and just all of a sudden it's just going chaotic. That, I think, is going to change. That might change how um, I go about tackling that. And then the other thing is, is this bull... Is the bugling chaos? Is, is the chaos because he, the herd bull, is going nuts, or is it because all the other bulls around him are going nuts? That that I think is also going to possibly affect maybe how I go about tackling. Because if this is, you know, I, I'll admit, if, if this is one of those situations where. You know, he's been hunting this area for a while, and, and he's kind of got a, 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 a good handle on maybe what bulls are around and um, just hasn't found the one he's looking for yet or just hasn't been able to get on the one. All of a sudden, over the hill pops this giant, and that group is moving, and he's got a – or it's down to the wire at the end of his hunt, and he's got, he's got to try to make something happen. Um if he doesn't think he's got time to work that bull slowly over potentially a couple of different iterations, then quite honestly, I will tell him that, okay, maybe lean on some of that other information that, you know, when he, when he referenced earlier, you know, people are, you know, in Oregon are, are going out there looking for that one bull that wants to fight. That, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's referencing my, video it's it's also on youtube so if anybody's listening to this and wants to watch it on youtube it's just mastering your elk calling i think it's mastering your elk calling does it really matter um it's kind of i think it's like a 30 minute video youtube video and it basically talks about my philosophy and, and does it matter of what you're saying and and in that video i talk about you know you're in a valley there's 10 different bulls if you look at the um and, and I will use this just because I know I, I don't think you'll have a problem with it because he's been very notorious about saying this. You know, like Corey Jacobson, the Elk 101 stuff, um, Corey loves I mean, he loved that that encounter where that aggressive bulls, those bulls are bugling, and, and he's even, I've heard him on another podcast say it, that he'll wade through those other, t those other nine bulls to find that one that wants to, to play that particular game, that, that bugling an aggressive game. Well, in this case, quite honestly, that might be absolutely your best bet. 
And so if it's a, if it's a you know, kind of you, – you, you've got to make something happen, and this bull is moving, and he's got to hear him, and, and it's just going crazy. But you don't think you're going to, A, be able to sit and listen to where they settle in and, and bed down for the day, or – you're at the end of part of your hunt and you've got to try to make something happen to well, then quite honestly, then I would lean hard on what most people talk about. That that typical, that challenge situation, whether you're talking about, you know, Corey's, uh, techniques and his philosophies, whether you're talking about, um, maybe Joel Turner, uh, and, and maybe, you know, kind of, it's a similar, but different type of scenario where, where you're being a little bit more aggressive. You're getting right in their face and, and you're using more, what they would call aggressive bugling tactics. Quite honestly, sometimes that is that's literally what you need to do. Um, and in that case, especially if that group is moving, try not to bump any cows and try not to bump any elk that you can and try to get in front of them and try to get as close as you can. But sometimes you just you've just got to be aggressive with it. Now. With that said, if that is not the scenario, say say it's a bull that he knows. Like for instance, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to my 2017 hunt, and here we are sitting there. I, there was a big mature bull down in this basin, but that bull, you know, hindsight 2020. Now that after I killed my bull and spent another couple days packing it out, I got to figure out and learn that this mature bull was using the same little basin. If the, if the mature bull he's found is if he if he's if he's comfortable in the same basin and he doesn't really move, well, I'm going to tackle that that baby a whole lot different because it, I, again, I'm always going to start low key and build up if I need to. I will I will absolutely call. I say this all the time. I will absolutely call as much as I need to, but I will never call more than I have to. And so if I know that bull is in a particular place and just because of satellite bulls and because of, uh, you know, cows cycling into asterisks, you know, every now and then it just turns into this chaotic situation. Sometimes, as much as it's fun, I, I will say, as much as it's fun to get in those situations in the mornings when the bulls are, when everybody's up on their feet, sometimes it's the best thing to actually do is just sit quiet and just shadow them and wait, wait till they bed down. Wait till they get in closer to the bedding area and, and bed down. If if the wind is going to be conducive to do so, go in after them after they've started to bed down or, or when they've started, finally started to, to um, settle in for the day because a lot of times now the cows aren't going anywhere. The bull knows where his cows are. The, the, the cows are a little bit more secure. And now if you call in a satellite bull, you can let him come in, and you can bump him and bump him off in a, off in a different direction, but slowly work your. What I do is just keep slowly working my way in closer to that herd bull, and then again, it, it, I'm going to start maybe with some cow vocalizations. Um, if he's still a you know, given that he's a member, you know, you referenced the Arizona bugling chaos. I would tell you go watch the Twizzler video again. That's a perfect example of what I would do on these situations where you have a large, a big mature bull with a big harem and other elk around. I'm going to wait until they either get in close to their bedding area in mid-morning or I'm going to get in tight and stage really close to them in the evening 
when they get up out of their bed and they first start to feed, I'm going to crowd them, guys, and I will probably start, just like that Twizzler video, using cow vocalizations, and I'm going to see if I can't get sucker out one, two, maybe three of those cows out of that group, especially the younger age class. If I can sucker a couple of those cows out of that group and come my way, at some point he's coming out to round them up. And just like the Twizzler video, I mean, he bar- once, once I had those cows moving my way, he barely vocalized. I don't even think he did vocalize. He just walked out, strolled out, came out, picked them up, and brought them right back into the group. And two or three times he was standing broadside inside of 30 yards. That, that would have been a dead bull. So really evaluate the situation that you're in. Just because it's chaos, does not mean you have a limited amount of time or opportunity to work that bull. Now, again, if he's if, if this is a high country area, if he's in a basin and all, you know, there's not an elk that he wants anywhere around, and then all of a sudden one day this giant head, you know, pops over the mountain, comes steaming and, you know, stomping through. Okay, maybe you do. Maybe, maybe this is a short duration type of, of exposure, and you've got to be aggressive. But if that bull is, is settled, let the chaos happen. Sit back and watch it and let it happen and then surgically insert yourself when the time is right. And maybe the time is right a day later when everything is kind of settled back down again. A lot of times that bugling chaos is because maybe a cow did in fact cycle. It stirred everybody up. That mature bull breeds that cow and then all of a sudden, I mean, it's like a light switch. They'll breed that cow. The one cow that was cycling is now bred, and all the other bulls are like, ah, crap, never mind, and they just vanish. They just go off and do their own thing. Maybe it's just better to sit, enjoy, you know, soak all that chaos in, and then come back in that evening or the next day and and tackle them a little bit more surgically. What do you think? Yeah, I mean... You know, if he's trying to kill a mature bull, you know, sometimes that bugling chaos, that frenzy, if he were, you know, even though it's a dry year later, you know, having that 16B tag with the season dates, I mean, he's probably going to get some some chaotic bugling. Um, I would say as an elk hunter trying to harvest a mature bull, again, don't get caught up in a frenzy that has a bunch of dinks running around if you're trying to kill a mature bull. If you want to just go have fun and enjoy an elk hunt, then, yeah, it's fun messing with the dinks. But, um, again, stay focused. Stay focused on what your goal is. Your goal is to go into this season and harvest a mature bull. Um, in those frenzies, if there's not a mature bull and you've seen the bulls, um, you know, move on and try and find that bull that you're looking for. Um, I will tell you that as the rut progresses, in my opinion, a lot of times those bugling frenzies are centered around a big bull that has all kinds of cows and there's little bulls trying to get in there with them. So early in the season, I might say, you know, stay away from some of that just chaos. Later in the season, I might say, you know what, some of the biggest bulls I've seen sometimes are right in the middle of all that nonsense action. So, you know, you just get in there, weed through the bulls a little bit with your binoculars and try and find the bull you're after, learn his voice, and then if four, five, six bulls are carrying on kind of on the right side of the 
of the, you know, chaos and the winds, right, slip way around to the left, you know, and try and go after the one bull that you're after. Um, so, I, you know, hopefully that helps um, Justin out uh, with, with his questions. Uh, Justin, I, I hope that helps you out. I thank you for sending those questions in. And uh, Chris, I think what we ought to do is just uh, take a break and move on to the next question. Uh, we'll make it actually into the next episode. Before we do that, I want to thank the uh, sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. They have been uh, the title sponsor of this podcast from, uh, the from the very beginning. And if you're not already a GoHunt Insider member, I encourage you to use the J. Scott promo code when signing up. And if you're not familiar with GoHunt, GoHunt is the the insider is the industry leader for everything Western hunting. Uh, they break down unit information uh, different than the print magazines and other resources out there. They cover states such as Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, and Wyoming. Uh, they also have giveaways. Uh, they have the most aggressive giveaways in the industry at no charge. All you have to do is be an insider member to automatically be entered into the monthly giveaways. And uh, they're constantly giving away gear and hunts and other great stuff, optics and what have you. Uh, guys, go check it out, GoHunt.com Insider. Every, about every single day I get an email from listeners saying uh, they heard about the GoHunt Insider from my podcast and, and how much they appreciate the resource. So go check them out. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's K-U-I-U dot com. Kuyu makes the best ultralight hunting gear on the market, in my opinion. Uh, a reminder, on June 23rd, coming up here in a couple weeks, uh, Kuyu is having their Mountain Academy. And there's going to be, I believe, six seminars. Uh, J uh, Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu, is doing a seminar. Uh, Brendan Burns is doing a seminar. Lance Kronberger is doing a sem seminar. Paul Bride is doing a seminar. And actually... I'm doing a seminar on optics and uh, field judging uh, animals. Uh, it's in uh, Dixon, California, which is just outside of Sacramento. That's on June 23rd. You can go to Kuyu's website, kuiu.com, to register. They're going to be giving away, uh, uh, I believe, $250 uh, gift certificates for Kuyu gear at every single one of the six seminars. They are free, uh, and uh, if any of the uh, J. Scott podcast listeners are out there. I'd love to meet you guys, love to shake your hand, uh, and uh, would love it if you'd come to my seminar. I've got a great PowerPoint presentation that I'm going to be doing, and I just want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. And I also want to thank the Outdoorsmans, theoutdoorsmans.com. Uh, you can also call them at 1-800-291-8065. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there. Uh, Chris, uh, we're, we're going to take a break here and dive into the next group of questions on uh, elk hunting. I appreciate you being on this episode. I uh, want to give you a chance to let the listeners know how they can follow you and how they can sign up for a row hunting resources uh, of subscription and what that entails. Yeah, no, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, if, if people really want to dive into elk behavior, uh, communication, vocalization, what, what are elk doing, and more importantly, why? 
if you want to understand why elk do what they do and why they communicate with the way they do and, and all these things that we've been talking about, uh, if you go to rowhuntingresources.com, the website, R-O-E, huntingresources.com, you'll see that there are, in the educational materials, there's a couple places where you can, you know, subscriptions. The elk module, it's an online subscription. It's basically a, an online library. It's, it's uh, there's, I got, there's, at this point now, there's got to be well over 30 hours of different videos on there. And a lot of it is, uh, elk based as far as a uh, the video itself. So you know anybody can flap their gums and, and talk to you. And there's some videos in there that yes, I'm talking to you uh, in from an educational standpoint. But a significant portion of the instructional material in there is me videoing elk doing elk. You know just the elk doing what the elk are doing with elk on video with high quality video, high quality audio so you can sit and you can watch and you can see the elk doing what we're talking about. You can see the behaviors unfold in front of you. You can hear them vocalize. You can hear and see the reactions. Uh, it really helps make your learning a lot, um, I, I don't know, more fulfilling, I guess. It, it just really helps those people that are more visual and really want to have a, a solid understanding of what they're what they're encountering out in the field. And there's different levels, you know, whether it's just a three-month membership or whether you want a, a full annual membership of just elk stuff or whether you want all access to the video or to the to the elk and deer and turkey modules. But um, there's there's a bunch of different options in there. They're all pretty darn inexpensive. Um, yeah, just rowhuntingresources.com. And, yeah, the J. Scott Podcast discount code is still active for new members, so jump on there. When you get through to the end, if you, you know, it says if you have a promo code or whatever, put in the J. Scott Podcast, and it'll knock 20% off. I, you know, I think that's what it was, isn't it? I think that's what it just, it makes it stupidly, <laughs> it makes it stupidly affordable. There's no reason why you shouldn't. <laughs> So, but yeah, no, that's that's where everything is on the website. But if you want to follow me along on social media, it's yeah, same thing. Row Hunting Resources or on YouTube, R O E Hunting Resources, and uh, you'll find me. Chris, you can either go buy a cheeseburger, fries, and a drink to prepare <laughs> for elk season, or you can sign up for a RHR elk module subscription. So it's your choice out there. What's more important, cheeseburger yeah, I, or yeah. an RHR subscription? Well, and that it's the, the, the real cost. Exactly, and, and the real, real discussion, you know, has been some of these people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to do. It. Well, heck, you, you you go buy a pack of broadheads, and depending on what you get, uh, you can literally spend more for a pack of broadheads than you can for spending three months and, and learning something that's actually going to put an elk in front of you. So you get a chance to yeah. use the broadheads. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, I I exactly. really well, we. We've strived to make this affordable, and I think we've, we've done that. I appreciate you uh, spending time with us. I look forward to the next episode where we're going to dive into some more elk questions. So until then, God bless. Okay, buddy? All right, brother. Thank you. You too. Be safe.